Hey, welcome to the podcast for Scotts Hill Baptist Church. We hope this message helps you discern what is true, what is right, and what is good. Also, we pray that it acts as an encouragement to you today. We are currently in a series called The Movement, which is a study of the book of Acts. We are specifically looking at God's movement through the early church. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning and welcome to Scott's Hill. So glad that you're here this morning uh, as we gathered in person. Some of us may be at home online still watching and we want to invite you to come join us back. Uh, come join with us as we meet face to face and enjoy great celebration together. We're looking forward to that. Um, if you're a first time guest, just want to say welcome here this morning. My name is Phil Ortigo. I serve as a senior pastor here and it's been my joy to do so for so many years now. I just want to remind you, in two weeks from today, it's Easter Sunday. Last year, this time, we were not able to gather together in-person gatherings, but this Easter Sunday is going to be an incredible time of celebration and worship. We're going to have five different services, 8 a.m. service, which will be right in here. Then we'll have one at 9.30 in the worship center and in the Cross Point Center. And then we'll have a service at 11 o'clock here in the worship center and a mask-only service in the Cross Point Center. And all of our venues are going to have live music and live leadership in those. With the exception of the Cross Point Center, we'll have my message streamed there. But you will have live worship there. And you do not have to register for any of these. Just want to encourage you to show up and have a great time of celebration together as we celebrate one of the greatest times in the life of the church, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in looking for his ultimate return, that he comes and receives his bride into himself. We're looking forward to all of those times. Now, for the last year, we have been making a number of adjustments, as you have with COVID and the way that we've had to change our lives to some degree, and we certainly had to do that with ministry. We have made adjustments all along the way in the course of the year, and we've been adding all of our ministries back in an incremental way, and now our children's ministry is flourishing, and we need help. One of the things that all churches experienced during COVID was the decimation of their volunteer base because people were not coming back to church. They were, uh, most of the stuff was online, virtual. Now that people are coming back, we need help with volunteers, particularly in our nursery area and in our children's area. And so here's what my plea is to you today. I want to encourage you to join with us in serving the youngest among us. One of our core values is we love one another through service. So we can love our children. We can love our children's parents when we serve together in the nursery. There are a number of ways you can do that. One of the greatest ways you can do that is put your name on a rotation list. And if everybody in both services would do that, you would only have to work once a quarter. And we could be able to help serve our ministry and our nursery area. And there's some, um, some areas where we need somebody to work on a weekly basis and some people to work on bi-weekly. But one of the great areas is for us to volunteer. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter if you're a grandparent, a great-grandparent, a great-great-grandparent. It doesn't matter if you're middle-aged or you're a young parent. It doesn't matter if you're single or whether uh, you're, you're a student. We want to encourage you to sign up. You can go to scottshill.org slash kids and you will see a We Serve button. Push on that button. Join us in serving one another. We need your help as we continue to grow in our ministries. That was our public service announcement. I'm done. 
the North American porcupine <laughs> is part of the rodent family. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever seen a North American porcupine. Most of us never have. But a North American porcupine has an average of 30,000 quills on its body. And these quills are defense mechanisms to help it protect against enemies in nature. Now, those 30,000 quills can be very, very dangerous to any kind of animal or person that receives these quills. What happens is it injects these quills into its enemy's body. And because of the body heat of the enemy, it takes those microscopic barbs and enlarges them and makes them virtually impossible to pull out. Now, if an animal or a person carries that around for a while, it can cause an infection, which would cause death. Or if one of these quills finds it's very close to a major organ in the body, it can kill that animal. Now, I just want you to know that the North American porcupine is not necessarily seen as a lovable animal. It just isn't. In fact, the Latin for porcupine literally means irritable back. And there is an irritable back syndrome. If you look at all the movies and the books of our culture, you will see that there's a great celebration of all kinds of animals. For instance, there's celebration of dogs and cats. There's stories written about them, horses and cows and pigs and dolphins and killer whales. And before the cancel culture came along, we loved little mice whose names were Speedy Gonzalez. And we, we, we even enjoyed a skunk called Pepe Le Pew, you know. But now what's happening is we see in our culture a lot of these are being removed. But one thing that has never been present has been the celebration of a porcupine. You really don't see stuffed animals. You don't see movies celebrating porcupines. In fact, I have never known a child to ever have a pet porcupine. And I don't know anyone that ever has. Now, the natural tendency for a porcupine in all relationships is one of two responses, either to withdraw or to attack. There's no middle ground for a porcupine. They either pull themselves away or they launch their barbs into those that they consider to be a threat. Now, there's only one time of the year where a female porcupine agrees to dinner and a movie with a male porcupine. It's only one time of year. And that window is very small. Some of you men thinking, I married a porcupine. And so, um, you'll, you'll talk about that later. But, but what happens is, there's a small window. And when a female porcupine says no, it is the most respected rejection in the animal kingdom. But here's the dilemma for a porcupine. Here's the dilemma. How do we get close without hurting each other. We need each other, even though we may needle each other. And the same is true with us, isn't it? How do we get close to people without being hurt? How do we develop relationships without somebody sticking me in the end? How do we develop these relationships without having quills, because every one of us has an arsenal of fabulous quills that we can launch at one another. And so the question really stands, how do we develop relationships without getting hurt? And the reality is, we are going to 
hurt one another as we go along the way. When you think of the church and the history of the church, it's ironic that more than any other organization, it has been the church that has been creating the greatest pain and struggle and divisions among people than almost any other organization. If you don't believe it's true, let's just take a look of history. Do you know that in the United States alone, there are over 100 kinds of Baptist in the United States? Let me give you some of them. There are Northern Baptist, Southern Baptist, General Baptist, Particular Baptist, Free Will Baptist, Primitive Baptist, not really sure what that means, Hard Shell Baptist, and my favorite, To Seed in the Spirit Predestinarian Baptist. Now that last one, I want to see you get that on the side of a church van, right? But that's just among Baptist. In the United States, statistics tell us that there are over 33,000 denomination of Christians in the world. 33,000 denominations of Christians in the world. And almost all of those churches were started because of disagreement, a split, hostility, conflict, and anger. And so what we see is that we live in a world that even among the people of God, there seems to be difficulties and conflicts. This has been true ever since the beginning of time. And it certainly has been true as you read through the New Testament. This morning as we continue in our study on the book of Acts, we come to Acts chapter 15 verses 36 and following. So if you have your Bibles, take them open to Acts chapter 15, verses 36 and following. What we're going to discover in this passage are two spiritual giants who have a major conflict with one another. And it may surprise us in what happens, but it really shouldn't. So as you're turning there, let me set the scene of where we've been. Well, last week we looked at Acts chapter 15, and the entire chapter is dealing with two things. One is a public controversy. The other one is a personal conflict. And last week we talked about the public controversy. And the public controversy was a group of people trying to complicate the simplicity of the gospel, if you will remember. And there were two questions that were asked and we answered last week. And the one question was, is there anything we need to do to add to the work of Christ on the cross? That was a question in that day. Gentiles were coming to faith in Christ. Jews were coming to faith in Christ. Was there something we needed to add? And all the heavyweights in the church in Jerusalem, the elders and the apostles said no. We are saved by grace through faith alone. We don't need to add anything to the work of Christ on the cross. So they settled that one. And the second question was, well, how do we have fellowship with one another? How do we get along with one another when we have different convictions? The Gentiles are coming from this world. The Jews are coming from this world. Do we have to try to mesh all of the things in our life together? And they said, no, here's what we're going to do. For the Gentiles, we want you to do three things. We want you to stay away from stuff that's been sacrificed to idols. We want you to stay away from sexual immorality. And we don't want you to eat meat with the blood still in it because it offends the Jews. And then for the Jews, don't add all the, 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 the ritual law to the Gentiles. 
Let them live in the freedom of the gospel. Let them live in the freedom of the Holy Spirit. And together you both die to your rights and your privileges and your liberties. So you honor one another. So they settled the controversy. But now we come to verse 36. And here we find a conflict. And it's a conflict between two great men of God. It's a conflict between two men who are considered to be spiritually mature, who have an insight for ministry. Yet in the midst of this conflict, we see hurt and pain. So here's what we want to do. We want to look at these passages this morning. I want us to look at the nature of conflict. And then I want us to see how do we overcome conflict among brothers and sisters in Christ when we disagree. So let's begin what Luke writes. And the thing that I appreciate about Luke is this. Luke doesn't pull any punches. I love the Bible because it speaks the truth about even God's greatest servants. The word of God shows us the flaws, the wrinkles, the shortcomings, the inadequacies of the people of God. And even in the midst of that, we see the application of the gospel over all of it. So Luke begins in verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. So if you remember, they made their way from Jerusalem in that council and they brought Judas and Silas with them from the church in Jerusalem. They're 300 miles away in Antioch, and they begin to share with all the people the freedoms that they have in Christ. And now they were there for some time, maybe a year maybe, continuing to pour into the disciples in Antioch. But Paul was one of these guys that could not stay in one place long. He felt that God would call him from place to place, and what he would do every place he went, he would share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. He would lay out the gospel. He would start to form a church of people who have surrendered faith in Christ. He would disciple them for two years, and then he would go to another place. And Barnabas was his best friend. Barnabas was the only person who received the apostle Paul when he came to faith in Christ. Everybody was scared of Paul. You remember Paul was the spiritual terrorist. He's the one going after Christians, arresting them, executing them, putting them to death. Nobody wanted to touch Paul, but Barnabas did. And Barnabas comes and he partners with Paul and they were like best friends. And Barnabas certainly is in agreement with Paul. Yes, let's go on the second missionary journey. But then the conflict arises. Verses 37 and following. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, who was called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from one another. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul took Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers by the grace of the Lord. Then he goes on. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Here's a division. Paul and Barnabas get in an argument. And it wasn't some real soft argument. It was contentious. It was heavy. It was enough to separate them from their ministries. What was the argument? It was about a young man by the name of John Mark. 
What did John Mark do? In Acts chapter 13, verse 13, we find out what John Mark did. And Paul and his companions set sail um, from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. John abandoned the ministry. They were doing the ministry. John Mark, for whatever reason, leaves the work. Now, the Gospels don't tell us anything more than what's right here. We don't know why John Mark left. It could be John Mark was watching all of the persecution that was taking place. He may have seen Paul stoned and left for dead. Everywhere these men went, there was either a revival or there was a riot. There was no in-between. And maybe John Mark was thinking, I'm not ready for this. Maybe John Mark was missing his family in Jerusalem. He was a young man. Maybe he just wasn't equipped for ministry. We don't know. But John Mark leaves. And then they get a dispute. And Barnabas is saying, I want to take John Mark. I'm not giving up on that young man. There were two reasons I believe that Barnabas pursued. First of all, John Mark was his first cousin. They're cousins. We find this out in Colossians in chapter 4, verse 10. They are first cousins, and they are family. And Barnabas is not giving up on his young cousin. Secondly, Barnabas is one of those optimist people, optimistic people. Remember, his name means son of encouragement, and he's probably thinking, I can change this guy. I can pour into him. I can impact his life. If I have time to shape his mind and his life, I can encourage him, Paul, just like I encouraged you when nobody would touch you. And so Barnabas is insistent on taking him. But on the other side, Paul is saying, I'm not going to have anything to do with anybody like that. You see, Paul thought he was a spiritual liability. This is not a guy you can count on. This is not a guy I want on my team. This guy abandoned us when we needed him the most. I don't want anything to do with him. And the two of them had such an argument that they separated. Barnabas takes John Mark and they go to Cyprus, which is his home. Paul takes Silas, which is this guy he discovered from Jerusalem that he was impressed with that went with him on their second missionary journey. And here's the sad thing about this whole picture. We never see Paul and Barnabas ever together again. Nowhere in scripture. In fact, from this point on in the book of Acts, you never hear of Barnabas and his team. We only hear of the apostle Paul and his team. And nowhere in Scripture do we find Paul and Barnabas ever doing ministry again. And so we say, what do we do with this? How do we handle this? Well, here's what I want to do. I want you to learn. I want all of us to learn four things this morning about conflict. I want us to look at three things that have to do with the nature of conflict. And then I want us to look at what do we do to overcome conflict conflict in our lives. Okay, so number one, conflict among followers of Jesus is inevitable. That's the first thing we need to know. Conflict is inevitable. You and I are going to have conflict with other people. If there are only two people and those people are living in the same house, ultimately there will be conflict. I want to tell you, husbands and wives, you are each married to a sinner. 
And because there is sin in our life, we have a tendency of being selfish. And conflict is going to be inevitable. I read a poem many years ago. It goes like this. To dwell above with saints we love, oh, that will be the glory. But to dwell below with those we know, now that's a different story. And it is true. And I want to give you three reasons why conflict is inevitable. Number one, because of sin. Because of sin. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. Together we're a sinner. Every home is filled with a bunch of sinners trying to have their own way. The problem with sin is this. Sin always leads to a selfish nature. We want to have our way. And because we want to have our way, there can always be conflict in our homes. Now, the wonderful thing is those in Christ, we've been redeemed through that, through the gospel and through the blood of Jesus, but that still creeps up in our lives. We can tend to have our way. I remember many years ago when, when Chris and I were, were just young and we'd just gotten married, we were learning all about each other. You know, and so as we're living together, we're learning about each other. You know what I learned? I learned what buttons I could push to make her mad. I really did. And, and there was this one little thing that I did all the time. Whenever she'd say something to me and I didn't like what she'd say, and I always said this same little thing under my breath. She'd say something and I'd say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like that. I didn't think it was that offensive, but boy, she hated it. She hated it. And you know what? When I discovered she hated it, it was a button I could push. And I enjoyed pushing it. Now, let me ask you the question. Am I the only insensitive jerk in this room? Am I? Huh? Anybody else? Know the buttons of your spouse? Y'all are so spiritual. Ain't nobody raising their hands. Some of you are wanting to. But, you know, it was always that. Yeah, 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 I'd do that. But you know what? After 35 years of marriage, I don't say that anymore. Not out loud. Um, but not only is it because of my sin, it could be because of other sin. Sometimes we have conflict because of the sin of other people. And when people commit sin, there are many times that creates conflict in our own lives because we go to them. We confront them about that sin. I'm thinking of the Apostle Paul and Peter. Before all this happened, Peter is in Galatia. Paul's in Galatia. And Peter's having lunch with a group of Gentiles. He's enjoying ham and bacon and shrimp and all the things that Jews are not supposed to eat, you know. And then all of a sudden, here come a bunch of brothers from Jerusalem who are Jews, and they see Peter eating with the Gentiles. And what does Peter do? He wipes all the bacon grease off of his beard. He goes over here and he starts eating kosher hot dogs with his friends from Jerusalem. And Paul sees the hypocrisy in that, that even Barnabas is taken away. And Paul walks over there and he confronts him in his sin. I'm absolutely convinced that Paul walked up to Peter and said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he dealt with that issue. You see, the reality is this. There's conflict a lot of times because of just our sinful nature. And because we're sinners, conflict is going to rise. But here's the second reason there's conflict. Because of preference. Sometimes preference. Preference just talks about the things that I delight in. I like this. You like this. And sometimes conflict can happen as a result of preference. We see that happen with Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas wanted John Mark. He really liked him. He wanted this kind of a team. Paul liked this kind of a team. So there was an issue of preference among them that created division. Let me tell you, you know, more churches split over preference issues than anything about theology or doctrine. 
More churches split over preference than theology and doctrine. I don't like that music anymore. Let's start our own church. I don't like that ministry. Let's go do our own thing. I don't like that preacher. I was reading about a guy who was shipwrecked on a desert island for a decade, for 10 years. He was finally rescued. When his rescuers came, they were impressed with all the structures that that man built while he was there for 10 years. And he began to give a tour. And the guy said, what's that structure? He said, that's my house. That's where I live. He said, well, what's that structure right there? He said, oh, that's, that's the store. That's where I go and pick up all the items I need for life. Well, what's this structure over here? Well, that's my restaurant I build. Every once a week, I go there and eat. He said, what's this structure over here? He says, that's my church. He said, well, what's that structure over there? He said, that's where I used to go to church. I didn't like the preacher. And so sometimes preference, here's a third thing, because of conviction. Sometimes we have convictions that can create conflict. This can happen within marriage. It can happen within a church. It can happen with, on a job. It can happen in a number of different areas. And I might have a conviction about a certain thing. You might have a conviction about another thing. And if we're not careful, those convictions can create conflict and disunity. Should I wear a mask or shouldn't I wear a mask? Where should I wear a mask? Where should I not wear a mask? Should I take the vaccine? No, I don't need the vaccine. And we end up finding the things that make no difference in eternity, the points of conflict in our hearts. And so conflict is real. It is inevitable. It's going to happen in our lives. But here's the second thing we need to know about conflict. Conflict does not always mean one person is right and one person is wrong. There is no sin identified in this passage about Barnabas or about Paul. Now, some people will say, now, wait a minute, Barnabas was wrong, Paul was right, because the leaders in the church commended Paul and Silas and sent them off. That doesn't mean they were right or wrong. Just that <laughs> Barnabas didn't wait around. He took John Mark, and they immediately sailed for Cyprus. Maybe he was getting the support from Jerusalem. We don't know. But neither one was right nor wrong. Here's what they had to come to agreement with. We can agree to disagree. And there are times in the church where people are not right or wrong. There are times in our families where we're not neither right nor wrong. Now, obviously, if there's sin involved in it, one is wrong and one is right. But in the issues that do not bring about sin, there's not necessarily any person wrong. Here's what we learn to do. We learn to agree to disagree about some things. Now, I think of our elders. Our elder body is made up of both vocational pastors and non-vocational pastors. That means paid pastors. This is our job. And people who have other jobs, men who have other jobs, but are not paid by the church. So we work together. And we have agreed to work together in a principle of consensus, which means this. We won't always agree together, but we will walk in a spirit of consensus with one another. There are times that I've voted for things where I'm the only one that voted against it and everybody else voted for it. And so as a spirit of consensus, we walk through that together. But there have been times as elders... In our past, where we came to difficult issues, 
where there was an even distribution for those who were for it and those who were against it. Or there may have been a slight majority for something as against it. And in those times, we do not move forward. We want to seek the spirit of consensus and the unity of the Holy Spirit. So we stop, we pray, we wait on the Lord to show us that. But neither persons are right or wrong. And sometimes when we deal with conflict, we want the other person to be wrong and us to be right. And I'm going to tell you, particularly in marriages, when you win an argument in your marriage, you have won nothing. You've won nothing. Because there is no winner or loser when you're living together. When we win arguments sometimes, even in the life of the church or our connect groups or in our theology classes, sometimes we win nothing because it's not an issue of right and wrong. Here's the third thing we need to learn about conflict, and I love this one. God uses conflict to accomplish his good pleasure. God will use conflict. He never wastes pain, and he never wastes conflict. God will use these things to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. Let me explain through Barnabas and Paul. Each one of them went different ways. And while we might say that's sad in that case, God was accomplishing something that only happened through the conflict. In fact, it was because of that conflict that now there are two missionary teams who are going in different directions, proclaiming the good news of Jesus, and more people are coming to faith in Christ than ever before because of that conflict. Now, here's the thing that took place. Now, there are two teams. There's Barnabas and John Mark. There's Paul and Silas. And now they're going in different directions. Here's the second thing that's an advantage of this conflict. Through this, individuals are now able to be trained towards success. Barnabas takes John Mark. Barnabas begins to pour into John Mark. Why? John Mark needed a Barnabas in his life. He needed an encourager. John Mark never would have been successful in ministry under Paul's leadership because Paul was not that kind of an encourager. And so John Mark needed to be with Barnabas. And Barnabas pours into him. He shapes his thinking. He shapes his life. He begins to give him everything he needs. You know what happens? John Mark ultimately becomes friends with Peter. And John Mark is responsible for writing the gospel of Mark. If it were not for Barnabas, John Mark never would have been introduced and grown in his ministry and met Peter and wrote the gospel according to Mark. What about Paul and Silas? They take off together. Silas is a major contributor in Paul's ministry and in First and Second Thessalonians, when you read that letter, it's Paul and Silvanus, who is Silas. And so Silas comes alongside and he encourages Paul and he helps him in the ministry. But not only that, Paul meets and shepherds and directs one of the greatest pastors in the New Testament, a young man by the name of Timothy. Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. 
Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were there in the places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And what we see is that Paul takes Timothy, pours into him, and now one of the greatest pastors in the New Testament is shepherded by Paul. Let me tell you this. If conflict didn't happen, neither John Mark nor Timothy would have been the men of God that God intended them to be. And there's a third reason. Both teams were effective in the gospel. And they went on their way through the cities and they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in number daily. Conflict brought about God's purpose and his plan. Let me just say this. When you and I go through conflict, every time we go through a difficult time, God is wanting to use it in our lives. And so when we go through conflict, we have to ask the question, okay, I'm going through this conflict. Is it because of my sin? And it's because, if it is because of your sin, you ask for forgiveness of it and you repent of it. But if you're going through conflict, you have to ask God, God, what are you wanting to do here? Some of you are in business today because of conflict in the past. You've left that relationship because of conflict. God has moved you to a new career and you are experiencing the blessings of God and it was the conflict that moved you towards that place. Some of you have been in conflict in your marriage in the past and it's been because of that conflict that God has used that to reconcile you and your wife and you are experiencing the joy of marriage that you had never known before. Some of you are in ministry today that came out of conflict. Some difficult thing that has challenged you, that's moved you into another place. And as a result of that, you are experiencing the joy of God's blessings in your life because of conflict. Some of you are at a spiritual growth in your life because of personal conflict in your own soul. And the Holy Spirit has been working in your life in such a way that he's brought you beyond that conflict and now you are experiencing spiritual growth that you have never known and you would not have without that conflict. And the reality is this, every person who's a child of God, we are experiencing the grace of God because of the conflict in our own soul of sin and eternal death. And in that conflict, we've come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We've been forgiven. And now he's put us in a place of joy. Think of, think of Joseph in the Old Testament. Think of Joseph in the Old Testament. What did he go through? I don't know of anybody that's been through as much conflict as young Joseph was. He was sold by, thrown into a pit by his brothers. If he had not been in a pit, he never would have been sold to Potiphar. If he was not sold to Potiphar, he never would have been put in prison. If he was not in that prison, he never would have become the prince of Egypt. And it's through conflict that God wants to accomplish great things. So I'm going to tell you, if you're going through some conflict right now, the thing to ask is, Father, what are you wanting to do in me? What are you wanting to do in my marriage? What are you wanting to do with my kids? What are you wanting to do in my career? 
What are you working in me so I can be the man or the woman that you desire me to be? God will never waste conflict in people's lives. So here's the fourth thing. Conflict must be resolved in a Christ-like manner. It must be resolved. A lot of times when we are in conflict, we just want to sweep it under the rug. We don't want to deal with it. Maybe it'll take care of itself. Conflict rarely takes care of itself. And while we read this passage about Paul and Barnabas, there's almost sadness there, isn't it? We wonder, has this been resolved? Has Paul and Barnabas, had they ever been reconciled? Was Paul and John Mark ever reconciled? The answer is yes. All you do is you go through the rest of the pages of the New Testament and you will discover the reconciliation that took place. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, Paul speaks fondly of Barnabas. He says to them that you receive Barnabas. Why? Because he is deserving of ministry, just as I am. And the Apostle Paul defends Barnabas in his ministry. And then we find three times the Apostle Paul speaks fondly of John Mark after all of this years later. In Colossians chapter 4 verse 10, he tells the Colossian Christians, he said, Receive John Mark with kindness because he's a great godly man. And then we find in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 11, here's what he says to Timothy. Paul's in prison. He's waiting execution. He tells Timothy, bring John Mark with you, for he's useful to me in ministry. And then in Philemon, verse 24, here's what we discover. Paul is about to be executed. He's waiting to be beheaded by Nero. And you know who's there with him? In Philemon, verse 24, John Mark and Luke are with him. He reconciled. He made those relationships right. And in the midst of all of this conflict, here's what we see. We see the gospel constantly changing people. It always goes back to the gospel, doesn't it? It goes back to what Jesus has done for us. In fact, the Lord Jesus says what we need to do to resolve conflict. We find in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. These are the words of Jesus. And he speaks these to you and me today. And if we're in any kind of conflict, he says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Jesus gives us seven things. I'm going to do this really quickly, okay? And you can just take a snapshot of the screen in a few moments. But these seven things flow right out of this passage. When you and I are in conflict with somebody, if somebody's done something to hurt me and they've sinned against me, how do we respond? Well, listen to what Jesus says. Number one, acknowledge conflict. Acknowledge it is there. You simply say, the conflict is there. I recognize there's conflict between me and this brother or me and this sister. Don't deny it. Be honest and say there is conflict. Secondly, own responsibility. Jesus says, you go. It's in the singular. You go. You take the responsibility. If somebody sinned against you, don't wait for them to come 
and say, hey, you know, I did that evil thing against you. Yeah, you know, let's, let, can we sell? No, you go. You take the responsibility. If somebody's hurt you, if somebody's said something against you, if somebody has offended you, if somebody has harmed you in any way, you take the responsibility and go. Thirdly, approach the person that you're in conflict with. You know what we love to do when we're in conflict? We want to approach everybody else, don't we? Let me tell you what he did. Let me tell you what she did. What do you think we ought to do? You know, we really need to pray for that sorry individual. Yeah? You know, we can just go on and on about it. Don't go to anybody else. You go to the person who has offended you. Fourthly, no third parties. No third parties. That means you don't go gossiping about the individual. You go to them. And by the way, let me just say this. Don't resolve a conflict on Facebook. It doesn't work, does it? Don't resolve a conflict on Instagram or instant messenger. Do it face to face. Here's the fifth thing. Be sensitive. Don't go in with your guns blazing and firing bullets at people. They might not even know that they offended you. And it gives you the opportunity to listen to them. I can't tell you how many times I've gone in, you know, the old thing, ready, fire, aim. You know, that's what we do a lot of times instead of ready, aim, fire. We start firing bullets before we even know what the circumstances are. So what we do is we're sensitive when we go to it. Sixthly, be direct. Jesus says, tell them their fault. Tell them what they did to hurt you. You know, there's a thing called go the 10%. Most of us will go 90% with people, but we really won't tell them what's really in our heart. We'll beat around a bush and they walk around with some vague thing about what they think they did to hurt us. But no, go the full 100%. You tell them what they did to hurt you. And you're honest with them. And lastly, seek reconciliation. That's the goal. The goal in all conflict is that we would be reconciled as brothers and sisters in Christ. Why is that so important? Here's why. Listen to me just for a few moments. Because Jesus did that for you. And he did that for me. Jesus sought reconciliation between you and his father. And between me and his father. Jesus went the full 100%. You see, in the heart of Jesus, he wanted to settle the conflict that you and I were separated from a holy God. So what did he do? He took on human flesh. He came and lived a perfect life. He went to the cross on your behalf. He became the very thing that separates you and me from God. He became sin. And you know what he did in the midst of that? He took on the conflict between you and me and the Father. As he was hanging on the cross... The only time Jesus has never directed God as Father, here's what he said. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? The Father abandoned his Son because he took the sin that was yours and mine. He faced the conflict of a holy God. He faced the full wrath of a holy God so that you and I would experience the grace of a holy God. And because of what Jesus did, you and I can walk freely now 
in a relationship with the Father where there is no separation. In a relationship with the Father that one day when I take my last breath, I am going to be with Him forever. In a relationship with the Father that if He sends the Son to get His bride, I am going to meet Him in the air. Because of the conflict He settled between you and me and God. And so if Jesus did that for us, the gospel demands we do that for one another. If there's conflict in your home today, I want to tell you, don't sweep it under the rug. Deal with it. If it's because of your sin, ask for forgiveness of it, repent of it. If it's the sin of a spouse or if it's just the circumstances of the home, settle the issue. If it's in a business, if it's in this church, if it's in our culture. And next week, I'm going to speak more about the coming conflict that is inevitable for every believer because of the degradation of our culture today. You're not going to miss next week as we get into chapter 17. And what God is calling us to do as a church to stand on his word. And to stand in solidarity as a body. And to stand in holiness. But today if there's any conflict, any conflict, deal with it. In such a way that the gospel is demonstrated in your life. If you're here today without Christ, I want to tell you, there's a conflict in your soul. And that conflict is about sin and an eternal destiny. But Jesus has taken care of that conflict for you. And today, you could surrender your life to Him. You could give your life to Him right now and just say, Lord Jesus, you know the struggle in my own life. I give to you everything and I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior. Let's pray. Father, for believers this morning, I pray that you would help us to see what Jesus has done for us and what the gospel demands that we do for one another. Father, I pray for our marriages. I pray for our families. Father, I pray for those who have relationships with one another as believers. I pray for those who are in businesses. I ask, Father, that you would help us to model what it means to live like Jesus. And Father, for those who are without Christ and who may want to surrender their lives to him, with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here this morning and you do not have a relationship with Christ, But you know that he is God's son and he desires to be your savior. You could pray this prayer to yourself. Not out loud, just say, dear God, I am a sinner. And my sin does separate me from you. But I believe that Jesus is your son and right now, I surrender my life to you. I ask you to remove the conflict within my heart of my sin and the eternal separation that is before me and that you would forgive me of my sins 
And right now, by faith, I trust Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. Father, I pray today that you would change us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Scotts Hill Podcast, and thank you also to those who continue to give with generosity. If you're new to this podcast and want to learn more about Jesus or our church, go to scottshill.org slash next steps for more information. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe to get notifications of future episodes. You can also share it with your friends via text message or take a screenshot and post it onto your social media stories. Whatever you want to do, just make sure to tag us at Scotts Hill. Until next time.